Hi, I'm Paul Johnson. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Life Support. I can remember the day that that Sarah died thinking, um, how can God be good in this? Uh, The day that I went through bankruptcy and sat in a bankruptcy court thinking, "How how can God be good in this? That is Susan Thompson sharing with Pastor Paul today about a recent tragedy experienced in her family and where she is finding hope. You're listening to Life Support. Everything you do from then on is different. One of the detectives, I think his name was He was a golden boy. All we can do right now is come together. Extreme domestic violence, multiple rapes. The purpose of Life Support is to help others know how to come alongside those who are hurting and suffering and hosted by Paul Johnson, lead pastor of Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota. In this series, Pastor Paul hosts conversations with survivors. No stranger to personal tragedy himself, Paul lost his first wife to cancer and then experienced the homicide of his 21-year-old son, giving him a unique perspective and empathy as he conducts these conversations. Here is Pastor Paul Johnson. Here on Life Support, we tell stories. We want you to find a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm so glad you've joined us, and we're honored to have with us today again Susan Thompson, who is one of my colleagues on staff here at Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota. Susie's an ordained pastor, and she handles counseling, pastoral care, and pretty much anything that I ask her to do with a smile (laughs) on her face. We've been hearing Susie's story, and it's not an easy story. She's been telling us about her her life as a young married woman that ended in divorce because of a cheating husband. She had to raise kids by herself. She was remarried. Her Her daughter Sarah then began to struggle with addiction, and so Susie's had to walk the whole recovery road with Sarah, And then tragically, not all that long ago, Susie received a phone call that Sarah had passed away. And so Susie's been sharing some of that journey as a Christian, but also as a woman who is on a church staff. And that's a hard thing because you're not only trying to grapple with your own grief and suffering, but you're having to carry the grief of others at the same time. But Minnesota's a strange place, you know, Susie. We have the saying in Minnesota called Minnesota nice. Mm Mm-hmm. But that can also be translated into Minnesota fake. Minnesota, I don't show my emotions. And there's been long held in church a myth that when you show your emotion, when you show pain, that you're weak. You're not a very good Christian. You don't trust God. That's not true, is it? That is not true. (laughs) That is not true at all. I think uh, I grew up in an era where... um, if you were truly a Christian, if you were really sold out to Christ, you um, you grew this sort of stoic exterior that didn't allow others to see your pain, and you didn't really even acknowledge the fact if you were struggling or you were suffering, um, because to do that meant that somehow you weren't spiritual enough or you weren't trusting God enough. And yet, if we if we go back and we read the Bible. Um, it doesn't take us very long before we see humans struggling. We see it from the beginning, from Adam and Eve all the way through the book of Revelation. We see the human struggle against sin. 
We see the human struggle with just life, life circumstances. Life does happen to people, things that are beyond our control. And so it's really a a myth. It's a lie, I think. It becomes a lie of the enemy that Christians do not suffer. And if they do, they certainly don't talk about it. But here's the problem. You're in a group of people, and I've experienced this a lot in my life, and you're afraid to show that because you can see people's heads starting to spin. And you can see them going like, i got to get out of here. And you never know quite how much to share. Mm -hmm. And you then begin to naturally draw back. Mm -hmm. So how can a Christian that is suffering or has been through pain express themselves in a way do you think that's helpful but yet doesn't overwhelm the people that they are hanging out with? Or is that an impossible dilemma for someone? I don't think it's an impossible dilemma. It can, frankly, be a difficult dilemma. Uh, I think we we get a feel for the people that we can trust. Um, I think I've seen in, in others and probably myself at times uh, the tendency to dump too much at one time on someone who perhaps isn't that familiar with me, doesn't have a deep relationship with me. And so knowing who are the one or two or three people um, that you can really trust and you can be authentic with and who will not judge you for feeling the way you do because your feelings, um, you you should own your feelings, but your feelings don't have to own you. That's just a part of us. It's just a part of who we are. But you want to have a small group of people, even one really trusted friend. Um, And if you don't have someone, there are probably people listening who don't even have that one person. And if that is the case, I would encourage you to reach out to you, Pastor Paul, or reach out to me or your own pastor, uh, someone that you feel you can trust with your story. Yeah, that's great advice. And we do have a care page on our website at myrwc.org. I find a dilemma preaching each Sunday, and pastors, I think, go through this a lot. I've got life stories that fit illustrations. Mm-hmm. And many times I think, well, I'm, I don't want to talk about myself. This, I'm not the point of this. I'm not the kind of preacher that goes up there and shows hunting you know, photos and talks about my kid, you know, talk about my kids all the time. I, I, I want to focus on Christ. But then I don't end up talking about it at all. And I remember saying to my wife one day, you know, I, I, I'm so tired of talking about Taylor. I'm sure people are sick of it. And she said, Paul, you never talk about Taylor. So that is a hard thing. And especially if you're working in a church context. And here you are counseling people. You've got this massive story that you know could be useful, but you have to use some kind of wisdom to figure out how much to give them, right? That's right, you do. You you have to use um, discernment to know when it's appropriate to share with a person, especially someone that you're counseling, when it's appropriate, when it's helpful for you to be authentic and allow that person to see that um, you are just a fellow journeyer on the road with them. You're a fellow journeyer in Christ. And so to know uh, when to share and when to be quiet. And I think the important thing is to remember 
um, is what I'm sharing going to point them to Christ or is it going to point them to me? Because I can have a tendency to tell my story in such a way that it's about me rather than about what I see Christ doing in my story. Yeah, that's a great word. I, I think that when you're journeying with someone that's going through suffering and pain, you mentioned being quiet. To me, if there's going to be a default setting, it would be be quiet. L- let the person be, you know, many times you don't want people to, to say anything to you. You just want them to be there. But we always feel like we have to blab. You know, we don't like silence. Silence is really uncomfortable. If you've ever led a Bible study and you've let a question hang out there, people don't like that. And so somebody will always jump in because silence is not golden. But, it, boy, it's important just to be quiet sometimes, isn't it? Just listen. It is. It's very impo- important. I think the presence, um, your presence with a person is far more important than your so-called wisdom. Um, because what people remember, and I'm sure you found this after Taylor died. I certainly found this after Sarah died. Um, I don't really remember what anyone said to me as much as I remember the fact that they were there. And that's true whether it's in a counseling session or you're just accompanying a friend through a difficult time. They won't remember probably anything that you've said but they will remember the fact that you were there for them. They'll remember the fact that you brought a meal or you brought a bouquet of flowers. Or um, one of the things I appreciated most that people brought after Sarah died was boxes of Kleenex and paper towels and, and paper plates because I didn't have the energy to worry about cleaning up dishes and things like that. But um, those really practical kinds of helps are what people remember. They do. And when you're on the giving end of that, make sure you ask the person what they need. Don't assume you know what they need. That's right. Because that happens a lot. They probably don't need another pan of lasagna. That's exactly right. <laughs> Gain about 100 pounds in the first week of grieving with everybody making their best meals for you. But it's really true. You remember the people and you remember the acts of kindness and you just remember the presence of those that just sat with you and were there. You don't remember words of wisdom. That comes maybe later on as you grapple long-term with it. So you've had this incredible story, Susie. You've, you've touched on so many different areas of human experience, from divorce to raising a child um, in a recovery situation, of grieving a child, of all these things that have happened to you. Talk to me about what you've learned about God along the way. I've learned that um, in spite of my feelings, which sometimes get the better of me, that that God really is good. And um, I can remember the day that that Sarah died thinking, um, how can God be good in this? Uh, the day that I went through bankruptcy and sat in a bankruptcy court thinking, how can, be, how can God be good in this? And when I went through divorce, how can God be good in this? How can God be good in all these really, really difficult circumstances? And, um, and what you find, again, I, I go back to this, if you allow him to 
to continue his work if you don't um, if you don't just throw up your hands and say, I give up on you, God. He, he will never give up on you, and you will see his stories of faithfulness repeated again and again and again. And actually, in Sarah's death, we have had the opportunity to talk to so many people um, about um, what she actually accomplished in her life and what has been accomplished because of sharing her story with others, the hope that there is freedom from addiction. Um, there is opportunity for families to be brought back together, for reconciliation to occur, both with God and with others. And um, and God will use you and he will use your story if you allow him to do that. He remains good. He is very good. And I'm really drawing you know, to Christian leaders that are willing to wade into this particular area. One of the men that I deeply appreciate that has had a huge impact on me, and not even theologically speaking so much as R.C. Sproul. Mm -hmm. Uh, R.C. Sproul's book, Holiness of God, and his incredible insistence that God is good and that God is glorious and that suffering is God's thing and he's still there and he's glorifying himself just gives me so much hope. If it wasn't for that hope, this would be a dark, dark journey. It would be. It would be. And I can see where people who who don't have faith in God, people who don't know how to lean into Christ during these times of great struggle, I can see where their hopelessness comes from. Um, I can see where despair can set in. But that's why I'm here today to share my story, is to tell people that there is great hope and there isn't, um, you need not fall into despair. You might have some ups and downs. You might have some bumps along the way. Um, but God is faithful if you will turn to him, if you will trust him, if you will be authentic and transparent with people that can help you. There is help to be found. Let's put our pastor hat on just for a moment, and let's talk about life in the COVID-19 era. Mm. Because many of the things you're saying are resonating right now in just everyday life. People are home trying to school their kids. Kids are not playing baseball and going to dance classes. They're at home. Parents who aren't teachers trying to figure out how to teach their kids. There are people who are getting to know their spouse in a whole new way. (laughs) And it'll be interesting to see what happens with that on the other side of this. But there's also a tremendous amount of fear and anxiety. And I think the uncertainty of when things are going to return to some kind of a rhythm is really, really difficult for people. So, as a pastor, what would you say to someone who looked at you and said, I don't see God in this. I know what you're saying, and I believe it, at least with my head. Mm-hmm. And I'm a Christian, but I just don't see God in my everyday life. It's too it's too weird. It's too off right now. Mm-hmm. What would you say to that person? Hold on. Hold on. Don't lose your connections with others. Um, there are times when um, we need others to hold on to God for us, in a sense. 
when we need to let others um, do the work again of praying for us, of encouraging us. Um, even though we are isolated from one another physically, do not isolate yourself more than is necessary. Reach out, you, you know, use your phone, use the technology that we have to stay connected. God has always had a plan. If you look back all the way to the beginning of scripture, um, you can see that God's faithfulness is there and that this is no different than many other times in our history. Um, God is present and he has not abandoned us and he will use this. We see Christians being used in some amazing ways during this time. This is a time when we can bless our community, when we can bless our neighbors, when we can reach out. And it's, it's oftentimes in the, um, in the giving to others that we see God at work. And America's been through these things before. We have a very limited view of history we have uh, forefathers that have been through a Revolutionary War, mm-hmm. World War One, World War Two, Vietnam War, et cetera, et cetera. And we've had dark times in our nation's history, and somehow we came out of that. And so, but from a Christian perspective and a Christian worldview perspective, one thing I would counsel mm. people to do is to obey your leaders with joy, and don't buy into cynicism. And do I like everything that my leaders are doing? Not necessarily. Mm -hmm. But I am called to be a good citizen right now. And nothing reflects Christ more than following our leaders with joy. That's right. It has a huge impact on the world. It does. Avoiding cynicism and... and, um and seeing the the positive side of there are some positive things happening even in the midst of this and i think you know the one characteristic of god that i see through all of this that we see through all of history you and i've talked a lot about god's sovereignty god is in control even now it may feel like it's out of control but he has got this and he will see us through this and uh, your advice is wise to um to obey the leaders that God has put in place over us as best we can with joy. So as you look at your life now, Susie, after this incredible story has continued to unfold, what are your goals as you look ahead now to your ministry career? And and what do you say to yourself on days when you think like, I want to do this, or I really want to be this kind of person or this kind of a pastor? What kind of things do you think about? I think about what an adventure my life has been, and um, my life is not at all what I expected. Probably for most people that is true. It hasn't unfolded according to the the little five-year-old girl dream that I once had, Um, but it has been incredibly rewarding and incredibly um, fulfilling and so I look, really look forward. Um, every every year that I get a little bit older, you know, we joke about that, um, the aging process, which isn't always fun. But I look forward to what God still has to do with my life and what he would have me do with my life. And I look forward to that with um, a great deal of anticipation. Yeah, and I think that you're an example of a believer that's been through so much and you're still standing and you're still praising God and you're still following Christ. And that's the mark of a believer that is serious and real 
it's so easy to follow Jesus when everything is super great and your church is great and you have this a charismatic pastor and you've got tons like of friends. You, like you. Well, I didn't want to say. I know. But there's many in our church that would not echo that sentiment. But it's so easy to follow Jesus when your kids are great and you've got a good job. But then when something happens and inevitably something happens, mm-hmm. don't you wish that every every marriage counseling session that you could have a section on, you are going to face hard times. And we tell them that, but they don't listen. That's right. We do. So it's easy to follow Jesus in those times, but when the rubber hits the road and we find out who we really are when suffering happens, and it's part of the world we live in because of sin, but it's also, I just want to encourage people that that's also when Jesus becomes more relevant than Mm -hmm. ever. And when he shows himself, mm-hmm. it's almost like he's looking for those opportunities. And then we let him in. That's right. But he's always there. And I think that's why I can look ahead with anticipation and with hope is because I know he will be at every juncture along the way. Um, some of those will be really difficult. Scripture tells us we're not to think it's strange when we face trials and difficulties. Um, so we shouldn't be surprised. But we can also know that wherever we go, he goes before us. Yeah, and I, I I agree with that. I'm really heartened. On Easter, I preached on John 11 and on Jesus' arrival with Mary and Martha and raising Lazarus from the tomb and the incredible depth of compassion he had. He was troubled in his spirit. He wept. And, of course, there's all kinds of theological debate about what was he troubled about and why did he weep. But the the point is, he was there present. Though he had a mission, the people in front of him did not escape him. And I really take a lot of heart in that. I know he has a mission. I know that his purpose is unfolding. I know he he has a plan for me. But along the way, he's not walking past the things I'm experiencing and the things I'm struggling with and my lack of faith and lack of belief. I find in myself an incredible ability to have great faith in some areas and very little faith in others. Hmm. But God doesn't walk past that, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I bet you've experienced that too. Absolutely I have. And, and sometimes I think, Goodness, I've been a believer. I've been a follower of Jesus, not always as faithful as I would have liked, but I've followed Jesus basically since I was nine years old. And I feel like I should be so much farther along the road by now in terms of my sanctification and my my spiritual growth. And I'm always a little bit surprised at the doubts that I have. But um, he never leaves me in that place. He always will take my doubts and and prove himself to me, proves his faithfulness to me in spite of my doubts, in spite of my questions. And frankly, there are some questions that we will not have answered here on earth. And I think we have to be comfortable living with the fact that um, we're going to have some wonderful conversations with God when we get to glory, um, and we will see that whole picture unfold before us. Yeah, the why question can drive you crazy. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. Susie, your story is amazing. You've been with us for three shows now, and I certainly appreciate your forthrightness and your courage and your transparency. And I pray that God blesses you as you move forward and 
and walks you through this difficult time that you're in right now. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. You know, Susie's been talking a lot about finding peace and counting on God and God being faithful through her struggles. And sometimes in trauma, we can become fearful and full of anxiety. And that's easy to do right now with this pandemic. It's easy to just buy into the the news and to become distraught. But God calls us all that time to trust him. And it's almost like he uses a pandemic to say, come to me. Deuteronomy 31.6 tells us to be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or tremble at them. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Trust is hard. But when we experience trauma, we can become closer to him than ever before. And so in a way, we can look at suffering as a gift because Jesus then becomes more relevant to us and real. And I encourage you just to lean into Jesus during this difficult time that we are in now as a country. Thanks for joining us on Life Support. We love to tell stories that help make Jesus more real to you. Life Support is made possible by our wonderful partners, Faith Radio, Five Stone Media, and Ridgewood Church. Faith Radio's website is myfaithradio.com. You can check in at Ridgewood here on myrwc.org slash life support. And you can also go to our care page to get more resources to help you. And Five Stone Media has this podcast in video form at fivestonemedia.com. And there's also YouTube options and Google and uh, iTunes. And so you can also join me on Twitter at Pastor Paul J. Thanks so much for being here with us. May God bless you, and we'll catch you next time on Life Support. Thanks for listening to this Life Support podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make a gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Life Support, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or your podcast player. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and grow the impact of Life Support.